Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast today with with an old friend, uh, someone who I, I really haven't caught up with in quite a while, so I'm really glad to have him on the podcast today. We're being joined today by Jerry Edwards. He's the pitching coach at Jacksonville University, currently a Division One school in the Atlantic Sun, obviously in Jacksonville, Florida. I'll give you a quick background on Coach Edwards before we jump into questions with him. This podcast today is brought to you by Diamond Kinetics. Coach Edwards is a graduate of NC Wesleyan. He's from Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Uh, he was they started his co- his college coaching career, uh, coaching as an assistant coach at NC Wesleyan in 1998 and 1999. The 1999 team won the D3 national championship. Really cool experience there. Not many guys get to experience that. Uh, so a great way to start his career. Then in 2000 and 2001, he spent two seasons as the pitching coach at Eastern Kentucky, Division I school in Richmond, Kentucky. The 2000 team there won the conference regular season championship. Then he spent one season at Lander University, a Division II school in South Carolina, as an assistant coach. And then uh, three years, 2003 through 2005, as the head coach at Hiawassee College. At that time, it was a junior college in Madisonville, Tennessee. Um while he was at Hiawassee, they had two players drafted in his three years there as a, again, as a junior college. Then 2006 through 2008, he moved on to be the pitching coach at Lewisburg College, a junior college in Lewisburg, North Carolina. Um, if you listen to this podcast enough, you know that I was also at Lewisburg at one time. Jerry and I did not cross paths. I was there several years after he was, but kind of cool that we have that in common. In his couple years there at uh, Lewisburg, he had two pitchers drafted in the top 12 rounds. Then he went back to Eastern Kentucky 2009 through 2012. He was the pitching coach at EKU again. The 2000 On the 2012 team, he coached the Conference Pitcher of the Year. Then he moved on to UNC Greensboro. 2013 through 2019, he was the pitching coach at UNCG. A really good Division One program. But the 2017 team won the conference championship and advanced to the Clemson Regional, where they they did uh, win a game in a regional, which is uh, not a, really not an easy feat. Uh, in his time at UNC Greensboro, he had 11 pitchers drafted in seven years. Also coached two pitchers who went on to win the conference pitcher of the year award. Then in 2020 was his first spring at Jacksonville University. A, a really tough year. Obviously got hired in the fall of 19. Then in the spring of 20. Obviously had the shortened COVID season, uh, but in that time, in the 2020 season, the time they did play, the team led the conference in strikeouts per nine. Uh, in his couple years at Jacksonville, he's had two two pitchers already signed pro contracts, including a third-round pick in the shortened draft in 2000. Uh, so, Coach Edwards, I appreciate you being here, man. It's great to catch up with you. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks a lot, buddy. So I typically, Jerry, like to start with something from – uh, people's bio that stands out. And for you there, I think there's a lot of places that we could start. Um, but I first want to start with just your experience at different levels. I think this is something I, I like to get into with different coaches. Uh, you've coached at the, if I, and, and maybe some of these have changed and I hope I'm correct here, but you've coached at the division one, division two, II, division three, and junior college levels. Um, Correct. And, yeah. and there's there's not a lot of guys that experience that, not only moving from level to level, but also going from two-year colleges to four-year colleges. From your experience as a coach, what were some of the biggest differences in in the players, in the caliber of player that you saw from level to level, if, if that's if you can, you know, if that's a fair question to ask? Um, <clears throat> to be honest with you, when I – you would think there would be a difference. Um, I didn't feel like 
there was that big of a difference. I, I was fortunate enough to coach at some really good established programs. Um, and uh, the quality of player we got, I felt, was fairly consistent. Um, when I was at North Carolina Western, we had a really good team, obviously won a national championship. Um, but when I went to, you know, East Kentucky after that, uh, I went to, you know, went from D3 to D1. Um, there was a lot of guys at, at North Carolina Wesleyan that I could have, you know, would have liked to have on my staff and, and, and been players for me at the division one level. Um, and that, of course that was, you know, before the travel baseball had really started to blow up. So at Wesleyan, we were able to get some guys that, you know, kind of flew under the, under the radar that a lot of people just, you know, for whatever reason, uh, didn't didn't get a chance to see and, and that type of stuff, but um, I, I was fortunate there. But you know, I felt like uh, the you know it's the the level of player. No matter what level you're at, you're always looking for the same type of player and the same type of skill set um, because you know what it need you, you know what it takes to be successful. And whether you're D three or D two or or JUCO, you're still looking for a quality baseball player. And there might be something, you know, at a D3 where the guy's a good baseball player and maybe he, you know, he's a shortstop, but he's not a, you know, sub seven runner. So now you got a chance to get that player because a D1 might not want him because he's not, they don't think he's quite fast enough or whatever. But you see the skill set, you think he can play shortstop, you like the way, you know, he hits and, 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 and plays and, you know, the way his attitude is and stuff. And so, you, you know, you get good players because of that. So I, I don't know that I, I try not to look at things from a different standpoint, uh, no matter what level I'm at or have been at, I, I'm still looking to try to find, you know, guys that are, that are quality baseball players. And, you know, some of them might be, might be a little bit short uh, in, in one area or the other, um, which allows you to, you know, get them at a JUCO or D3. I know we had, you know, really good guys, and you, you were at Lewisburg, and it's, it's a great uh, great JUCO program. It's got a rich tra- uh, tradition and history. That helped us get some guys. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we got guys there that we beat some Division twos and Division ones on just from the simple fact that it wasn't really the D2 or D1 they wanted interest from. So we were able to say, hey, come here and play, and, and you never know what's going to happen when you leave. And, ended up they they came and they played and they got better they developed and then you know the opportunities for them to play at a division one level or professionally was there for them that wasn't really there for them coming out of high school so uh, i i think a lot of the a lot of the guys i've had an opportunity to coach a lot of the skill sets and and stuff are, are, are fairly comparable that's one of the things i loved about junior college i got a chance to coach at two different junior colleges <laughs> And I really like that level. I don't know how you feel about the junior college level, just, you know, generally speaking, especially compared to others. But I had as much fun coaching at the junior college level as, as I did anywhere else. And if I were to get back into coaching, I think that that's a level I, I really strongly look into. But but what you just said, I think, is a great a great way to view junior college. And, and in different parts of the country, I think kids do view it that way. But, you know, where I'm from in Pennsylvania, guys really don't you have to really be kind of talked into junior college because it's not something that's very, it's very prevalent up here. It's not something that kids look at and, and uh, coming up through high school think this is, a, this is a great opportunity for me. But what you just said about there were guys that were maybe getting opportunities, but it wasn't 
the specific schools that they wanted. I mean, just say you're from around you, either from Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever, and you have a couple of schools down there in mind, maybe in your mind, you know, you are a uh, a Clemson or a South Carolina type of player. Maybe you're getting some good Division One looks, or, or heck, maybe maybe you grew up in a certain area and there's just you, you really want to go to a UNC Greensboro or Jacksonville, and and you might have some other schools at that level interested, but you have your heart set on one specific school and, and they're not really paying attention to you right now. Why not try JUCO uh, for you know a couple years? Uh, Jerry, at your your time at a junior college, you were again you were the head coach at a JUCO and a pitching coach at a different JUCO. Your time at, at those different places, um, how many guys would you say if you could put a percentage to it? How many guys left junior college with a better offer than than what they had when they came in? And a better offer could either mean a higher level or you know more money at the same level or, or whatever but, but but how many how many guys if you could if you could generalize and put a percentage on it how many guys left junior college with a better offer than what they had coming out of high school uh that's a good question um and uh to, to put a percentage on it i mean i was at juco for you know six years um so to, to, to kind of put a percentage on it i, I would say at least and I, I don't think I'm overshooting right here. I would say at least 50% of our guys um, who came in, you know, got an opportunity that was better than what they had because some of them didn't have any opportunity, you know, and junior college was the only route. We were the only ones interested in them, and we had guys that ended up going and playing Division One baseball. Um, you know, we had guys that would come in that were – getting division one offers i had a kid at, at, you know at lewisburg i mean he had some d1s in virginia that were interested in him he decided not to take it he came to lewisburg and ended up pitching in the sec um so you know i mean it, it just i felt like uh, a lot of our guys uh moved moved on and like i said it, it might be greater than 50 percent, but I, I feel comfortable saying you know right at 50 percent of the guys ended up being uh having the opportunity to to go somewhere that that opportunity was not present for them at the time they came to junior college. And even when I was at Hawassie, I mean, we were a small private school. Um, and, you know, to, to have a couple drafts out of there, um, those guys weren't even like coming out of high school, like they had nowhere else to go. And they had a skill set. Uh, you brought them in, they developed their skill set, and, and two of them ended up getting drafted where really coming out of high school, I mean, it was like, hey, Either I go to school and just be a student or, you know, I, I go to work. And uh, luckily for me, they, they came and played for me and they, 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 they took it upon themselves to do the things they needed to do to, to get drafted and, and to move on and play at, at, at bigger schools and, and stuff. So I, I really do. I, I tell you what, Jeff, I, I love JUCO. Um, I, I thought it was a great experience. And even to this day, um, I, I like to recruit junior college players. Like I'm a big Juco guy, especially on the mound. Uh, every year, like I'm pushing our guys, our other coaches to like, let's go get junior college guys because you have a better sense of what you're going to get. They've, they've been through the ringer. Uh, they've had to get up at five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and get on a van and ride two hours and, you know, and, and play a doubleheader and get back on the van. And, and, you know, so when they come to a, Division one program, like they're 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 appreciative of what they have, um, and and you know that they're not going to be intimidated or afraid of the moment, just based on their experiences that they've had, and 
because I coached at that level and I know those experiences, I really, I really think more people should, should, should look into the junior college route than what they do. I hate that it still gets that negative, uh, you know, negative mark about it's only for, you know, kids who don't have grades and are not academic or, you know, whatever. And, that, and that's just not true. I mean, it's, it's a good avenue. And, and I really wish a lot more, a, a lot of kids would, uh, would take that avenue more than what, instead of looking at it as a negative, take it as a positive as I got a chance to play college baseball. Who knows what can happen in two years because people develop at different rates. I mean, you're coming out as a high school senior, maybe you're six foot 150. You're not ready to go compete against a 22 year old who's six foot, you know, 210 and has played, you know, three years of college baseball. So you need to go develop. And in two years now, you're six one. Uh, you know, 185, 190. Oh, okay. Well, this guy's really started to get his man strength. He's put on some muscle. He's gotten stronger. He understands stuff. And so I, I, I wish people would look at it more from that direction as a development more so than, Oh, well, this is the only place I got or uh, uh, the only reason he's going there is because he's got bad grades or whatever. I, I, I just hate that, that junior college is still looked at it from that standpoint. Totally agree. And when I would recruit guys to junior college, one of the things I would say to them is, you know, how how much better you're 17 years old right now. How much better do you think you're going to be as an athlete? How much stronger do you think you're going to be when you're 20 years old than where you stand right now? And and if you feel like that you're somebody who can put in the work and is going to is going to work hard in the weight room and is, you know, you're going to be around a great coaching staff that can really develop you for for the next two years. Do you not believe that you're going to be a much, much better baseball player than you are right now? And and I think for a lot of competitive kids, if they start to look at it that way, they say, you know what? I think I will be a better player. Like right now, I'm I'm not maybe the player I'd like to be, but in two years, I think I can be. You know, two years, if I put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle and I get college-level coaching for the next two years – I think I could be that that guy that I'd like to be, and and I and I think that's it's a good you know it's a good challenge for guys that that are that like to take that challenge on. How many guys in a perfect world, Jerry? How many junior college guys would you have on a roster or or in any particular um, recruiting class? Because I, I'm I'm guessing that there's there's a number somewhere that that's probably too high. You probably don't want to have, have too many junior college guys. Cause then you just maybe have too much turnover and not enough time for guys to right. kind of gel together. But you probably, like you said, you like to recruit them for you. What's a good number of Juco guys to have on the full roster. Just say if you have 35, 40, 40 guys on a roster or, you know, eight to 10 guys in a recruiting class. Right. I think a lot of it depends on what school you're at. I mean, there's certain schools based on their academic, stuff um i think at a, at a mid-major where you butt heads with some of the power five guys and you have a tendency to lose some some guys based on the fact that it's a power five and they're they're just enamored with the power five and they're they don't you know that's kind of what, what route they're going um then you're you're, you're going to be a little bit more juco heavy i know when i was at uh when i was at uncg we had a lot of success with the junior college guys i would say we were probably we were probably 70, 30, 65, 35 in that area, high school to, uh, to JUCO. Ideally for me, I would probably like to be around a 60, 40 mix of high school and, and, and JUCO guys. Um, um, so that, 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 to me, that's kind of the ideal. I think once you start getting above, you know, 50, if it's 50, 50, I think you can, you can be okay. I think if it starts getting more above the 50, 50, it's like you said, now you've got a lot of guys that, 
aren't going to play and when they're JUCO guys and they're, they come to your place and, and, and they're not going to play, then things kind of can get a little uh, tricky because they're coming to play. I mean, you, you go get JUCO guys because you're filling holes and, and you need guys there. Um, and so I, I really think a 60-40 is a real good mix, uh, high school to JUCO. And on my, on my pitching staff, usually we have 18 guys. I, I, I'd like to be, you know, probably, you know, of the eight, if we got 18 guys, I'm probably looking at maybe 10 to 8, 11 to 7 high school to JUCO. I think that's really important for people to hear because – for a high school coach or, or families out there that are in the recruiting process, I think it's important for them to hear what someone like you at your level, how you look at junior college players and the fact that you want, you want junior college players on your roster, I think should mean something to people when, you know, if kids, like you said earlier, you, you kind of wish that junior college would, would be able to shed the stigma of like, Oh, guys are only going there that don't have the grades or guys are only going there that, that uh, it's their only option or, or, uh, or whatever. They're not a qualifier at a high school, but I think it's important for for people to hear that a Division One pitch, a successful Division One pitching coach and, and recruiting coordinator um, like yourself, you want junior college guys on your team, uh, you know, and that's just that's oh, yeah. just something you kind of do from year to year. Jerry, how do you recruit JUCO guys? Because it's different. This is something I think I want people to understand too: is that recruiting a junior college player is different than high school. And you know, high school guys, you're recruiting him two to three years before he's actually going to set foot on campus. But most of the time, the junior college recruiting is happening in the same calendar year where like he'll be on campus next year, right? You're going to, you're going to sign a Juco sophomore who will be on your campus the following fall. Um, so are, are you, can you just kind of tell people how you go about recruiting Juco? Cause high school, you kind of just sign the best players and you're not always necessarily uh, uh, recruiting for a specific need, but in Juco, are you kind of evaluating your own team in the fall and then the following spring and saying, you know what, we really could use another left-handed arm. We really could use another starting pitcher. We, we, you know, we are, uh, I'm not real happy with our third base situation. We really got to go out and find somebody because we don't have a high school guy coming in next year. Is that how JUCO recruiting works for you, or would you be able to at least you know fill people in on how exactly you go about recruiting junior college guys? Uh, normally, you know, once the you know once you kind of finish with your spring, uh, you've kind of evaluated your team. You know where you might have some holes and who's coming in, who's going to be there. Come, come the following fall. So when you go out, like what we do is when we go out in the fall, we're we're specific on what we're looking to do. You know, hey man, we got to go find a right-handed power bat. We really need to get a shortstop. Um, you know, I like our outfield situation, but we need to go get a true center fielder. Um, or hey man, like I, I think we might lose a couple arms to the draft. We need to go fill. Uh, we we need to go find two starters based on the, the kind of seasons that, you know, some of our guys have had on the mound or, you know, at the end of the spring, you felt like you could have had, you, you needed another piece or two out of the bullpen. So you're going to try to go in the fall and, and try to find the best, you know, couple power arms you can find that can come in and be back end closure type guys in your bullpen. So each year it varies with the junior college guys, as you well know, um, some years your needs are greater than others, um, but for the most part, we're being very specific uh, about what we're trying to go get. I mean, if I go watch a JUCO event and they got a first baseman and I really like him, 
and he can hit, and I've got a, a, a consistent guy at this at first base, then I, you know, even though I might like that kid, I'm not really going to do a lot with him because I've already got that player in place. Um, so, so it's more, it's more position specific and, and arm specific of guys that you evaluate them and you go, okay, that guy's got a chance to come in, step in right away, hit in the middle of our lineup, or this guy can come in, we can get 80 innings out of him as a starter, uh, you know, stuff really plays. Like I can see that guy being a weekend guy for us. Don't know if it's going to be Friday night, Saturday or Sunday, but it doesn't matter. All three weekend games count the same. You, you got to try to win all three of them. Um, and so that's kind of how we go about our, our junior college recruit. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Diamond Kinetics. No matter what season you're in, our friends at Diamond Kinetics are here to help you train smarter, get better, and so you can dominate on the field this season. DK's line of mobile-based motion technology products give players and coaches the ability to practice smarter, practice more effectively, and have more confidence in the batter's box and on the mound. On the hitting side of things, DK's swing tracker bat sensor provides in-depth, comprehensive swing analysis for the data-driven baseball player and coach. Attach the sensor to any bat, swing, and immediately you see barrel speed, bat acceleration, and 3D, 3D swing plane to enhance player development. DK's revolutionary swing fingerprint identifies your hitting hot zones and help you helps you improve your approach at the plate. With Diamond Kinetics, you will train smarter and get better and have more confidence on the field this spring. So, Jerry, I, I don't often do this with guys, but uh, I'm going to do it with you because it's, it's kind of a funny situation to me. I met you uh, my the summer before I actually started coaching. Uh, I was at Duquesne, a, a little Division One in Pittsburgh that has since dropped baseball. Um, you were at you were at Lewisburg, and I, and I met you at the Best in Virginia camp, which I don't think exists anymore either in Virginia. Um, and, and it was uh, it was uh, I'll never forget meeting you. Do you by any chance remember any of our interactions? Uh, at that best in Virginia camp. Do you remember meeting me way back then? I don't know if you even remember, knew that we oh, met uh, way back then. I knew we met. No, now that you bring it up, I mean, I remember, you know, meeting and, and connecting and then staying in touch and, you know, you know, seeing you over the years and at the different places you could be. I did not realize until you said it that that was the first time we had met. And now that you said that, I go, oh, okay, that's right. I do remember that. We did meet it. Uh, Benson, Virginia. So that's, you know, it's, uh, it's weird that you brought that up. So that was my first summer. And I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do, how to get, how to get started in the coaching world. And at that time, the head coach at Duquesne was like, well, you should go out and work some camps this summer. And I said, I just said this on one of my other podcasts recently too, but I said like, I'd love to go work camps, but I don't, I gotta, I gotta make some money. And the head coach at Duquesne was like, they pay you to work camps. And I was like, holy, holy shit, they pay you to work camps? Like I'm going, so I spent that whole summer on the road, and, and I think the best in Virginia camp was was kind of early on, and, and I was I was very very green. Didn't know how green I was until you know years later you look back. But I, I remember meeting you. There's a couple specific things that I that I remember that I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up, and I hope you're okay with me sharing this kind of stuff. But first of all, you and I, uh, like my first day there, I want to say we were in uh, the batting cage. We were you know you kind of like you're flipping the kids or whatever and watching some kids hit, and you called a kid. Uh, you called a kid, a, you referred to a kid as a big donkey at that time. It was the first time I ever had heard that term. 
and uh and i kind of like I, I felt like i was getting an education there that day but then uh i called my dad later because you and i ate dinner next to each other at, in the dining hall and you started making fun of me because i was eating chicken with a fork and a knife and you were you were making fun of me and calling it a yard bird you're telling me, I mean, you eat yard bird with your hands and like you did it with the great Southern accent that you've got. And I called my dad later that night and did my Jerry Edwards impression was like, dad, you got to like, this guy's awesome that I've met. Like, he's just, he's such a unique guy. And I'd never, I, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, played in Pittsburgh and never kind of had been out of the area. So that was my first experience with you. And uh, there's a couple other, a couple other things that, that we, a couple other interactions from that camp that I won't bring up. Maybe I'll tell you over a beer sometime that I remember, but it's funny how some stuff sticks in your mind. So, like, when I met Jerry Edwards at this camp, like, the, you were just a guy that, that – there were probably guys that I met at that camp that I've forgotten about, but you were one of the guys I was never going to forget about. And, uh, you know, it's it's also funny to me that, you know, you, you tell players as a coach, you tell players how important that first impression is. And uh, I've had several conversations with guys on podcasts that, like, I'll bring up the first time I ever met them. And they probably don't remember meeting me because when I met you, I was probably 22 – I was probably a lot cockier than I should have been, or, or maybe just, maybe just ignorant. I don't, I don't know, but I don't know how, I don't know what my first impression was on a lot of people, but I know, you know, what other people's first impression was on me. And, uh, and, and yours was, was, it was a good one, a funny one and a positive one. And just a like, you were a guy that I, I kind of wanted to stay in touch with over the years. And I'm glad we've gotten a chance to. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. I mean, I, <laughs> I still use the term big donkey, uh, to this day. And I, I have to, Nowadays, when you say it, you got to re- re- just tell somebody, "Hey, man, that's that's a a, a ter- term of endearment." That's like a big I'm telling, compliment. I'm giving you a compliment. I'm not, you know, talking down to you. <laughs> big donkey's my term for guys that are just big and physical and strong, and you know, you like what the way they look and the way they carry themselves, and you know that type of stuff. And and yeah, that that uh, seeing somebody eat yard bird with a with a knife and a fork was a, a first for me. Being a you know good old southern boy from like <laughs> North Carolina, I mean. Knives and forks were used for for steak, and and fingers were used for eating eating chicken. So that's just the way we did it, and uh, and we I still call it yard bird uh, to this day. And the the, the, the the saying going around my house, and it's been like that for years, is every Sunday is yard bird Sunday. We always cook chicken on Sundays on the grill, and that's kind of our day to to do it. But that's that's the that's the term I still use to this day. But it's funny that, that, that stuck with you, and you remember that. And I do remember meeting you now that you bring it up and you know being young and stuff like that we had some good times and i always like doing that camp because you got a chance to interact with you know older guys like myself but with you know young coaches like yourself who were trying to break in uh get into that camp like that's a that's that was a very physically as a coach challenging camp where you work like it was a working camp and you got a chance to be around a lot of older guys as a young coach and uh, and see some different techniques and see some different ways that guys do things. Um, uh, and I thought that was a great experience with having the ability to hopefully as an older coach at the time meet a young coach like yourself and hopefully have a, a positive influence and, and, you know, hey, man, like this is a good profession. Like it's tough at times. You got to pay your dues and you're paying your dues right now by working this camp and, you know, being, being a green guy. But I mean, you know, it's, that's part of what this business is about. And, and, and obviously you took to it the right way by taking in information, uh, and learning and continuing to develop and, 
as a coach and being able to coach at a, at a good junior college program like Lewisburg and then going on to Moorhead and coaching with those guys and having success there and, and going to regions and stuff. So, I mean, obviously you, you took the, the right information and, and did the right things, but Jeff, those camps aren't out there no more. Um, and, and I think sometimes that's a, that's a detriment to young coaches like, you know, like you were at that time that have a chance to really get out and, and interact and, and, and just, you know, pick the brain of some older guys and just see how, you know, guys act and, and, and what their personalities are like and, and that type of stuff. I, 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 I went to that camp seven years in a row, man. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that thing. And I, I know it's no longer in existence, but best in Virginia was as good a camp for baseball players as it was for coaches young and old to, to, to be together and, and to, and to learn from one another. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up, man. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff you said there just really resonates with me. And, um, you know, I got, I got advice going into that summer from our pitching coach at Duquesne. And of course I was, the vo- I was going to be the volunteer there. And, and I, my pitching coach told me basically to, he's the guy that played at NC state. And I think had a, had a good pedigree to him. And he said, Jeff, when you go work these camps, Keep your mouth shut, keep your eyes open, and let people notice you by how hard you work. And I, and I hope I did that. I hope I, I hope I, you know, wasn't remembered from some stupid things I said or whatever. But I know at that camp also, the best in Virginia camp, you were in this. It was an, an endearing way, I think. But you were you were giving me a hard time because I was I was at a Division One, and and you were you know you were at a junior college, and, I, and you were kind of you were calling me. <laughs> And again, it was, it was out of, I think it was, I think you liked, but I felt like you liked me and were doing it because like, you know, that we were kind of getting long throughout the week or whatever, but you were calling me D1 throughout the week. But the, but the way I took that was like, I took it like, don't get a big head about you because just because I'm at a, divi- I'm at a division one and somebody else is at a different level doesn't mean I'm a better coach than them. Because I mean, it was, but again, you were kind of, I felt like throughout the week, you, you were kind of joking around with me like that. You felt like you could, which was good. Um, but but I took that just with a, a kind of a as a as a teaching point, like just man, you're not any better than anybody else because you're in Division One, and I I don't think you meant that like in in a uh, in a way to be condescending to me, but in a way to say like, hey man, just just kind of keep your head about you and don't don't get a big head, and and I and I and I hoped I tried to do that throughout my coaching career as well, and those kind of things, like I said, really stuck with me, um, you know, throughout my coaching career. Yeah, that's that's good. You're right. That's exactly how it was. You know, it was it was a like the big donkey term. It was more of a you know term of endearment. Like, hey man, like you're in Division One. That's great for you. But you know, just hey, just remember that you know we're all in this thing together, and just keep working hard. And you know, when you're young like that, you know, sometimes you you, you might get to a level and you think you've made it, and just understand you hadn't quite made it yet. You still got to put in the time and the work. And and obviously, we've stayed in touch. And I'm doing this podcast, so obviously. Uh, the impression you made on me and 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 and, and, the, and the time over the years and and us communicating when we would see each other out on the road and stuff like that. Like if if, if you weren't somebody that uh, that I appreciated and liked during that time, I I wouldn't have stayed in touch and and continued to you know uh, talk with you and, and and interact with you like I did. So it's it was good. I I'm glad you brought it up. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Those best Virginia camps. I only worked them for two years. And then I went out and coached in the Midwest, and I and I didn't go after that. And I'm not sure when the last years of, of that camp, uh, you know, when the last years were. But in my two years there, I'll tell you that I've I've stayed in touch with a bunch of guys that I met there, and it's and that was a long time ago. I mean, that was that was like uh, 2007 and eight, I believe, I, yeah. were the two years that I would have been there, and um, and 
there there are three or four guys that that I've done things with just even on the on this website that I've met for the first time at that camp. Coach, is are are camps still a way for young people to uh, just to start meeting some people and and to network a little bit and to uh, to to be seen and not heard, kind of like the advice that I got. Is that still something that young coaches do, or has the coaching world kind of changed where? that's not really something that, that a lot of guys are doing at this time. I mean, for you, when you're, do you still have camps and you're evaluating young guys at camps? Um, the camp, you know, the camp like the one we did in Best of Virginia has kind of gone to the wayside. Everything now is more school specific. So all of us have our own camps and, you know, and, and stuff where we're trying to evaluate guys. Um, what has kind of fallen to the wayside too is you don't invite a lot of other coaches from other other institutions because recruiting is such a big is such a big deal and you're afraid that if you invite somebody a volunteer from a bigger school when they come in and they see a guy at your camp and then all of a sudden they got a chance to sign him where really they didn't know about him so you don't get a chance. Jeff and I've kind of, you know, I have people text me all the time about, hey man, we're looking for a position. You know any, you know, do you know any young coaches? And and I don't get a chance to meet young coaches as much anymore, um, unless they've been on my staff as a volunteer or an ops guy or, you know, something like that. Or you know, we'll, we'll have some camps. We'll some young JUCO coaches will come over and you get a chance to meet those guys and interact with them. But um, I, you know. Uh, I, I just don't get a chance, and I and I, and I hate it um, because I think, you know, as you get older, you start to understand the giving back to the game, and that's a way to give back is to try to mentor, you know, young coaches and help those guys out. And when I got guys on my staff that are young guys, like I try to help them out and mentor them and just get them to understand. And if, if we do have a, a camp and we got some young coaches there, you know, I try to talk to them about, hey, man, like, how, what are you looking for? Like, how do you go about evaluating guys? Like, what is your – what is your ultimate goal? Do you understand what this is about? Do you understand the time that goes into this and and uh, the fact that you're not going to make a lot of money early and you're going to work your tail off and you're going to have a lot of long hours? But if you really love the game, um, it, it, it'll pay off for you. It, it, it might there might be times you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you kind of wonder like what what why am I working this hard to make this much money? And, and I've told people when I got into coaching, I never got into it to, to make a bunch of money. I mean, you want to make as much money as you can, but in this profession, if you work on, if you work uh, based on how much you get paid, then you're probably not going to be in the business very long, and you're probably not going to be a very successful coach. Um, you got to take the attitude that I, I'm, I'm going to work uh, as hard as I can, do whatever I need to do. Um, do things that maybe the head coach doesn't ask me to do, so I show some leadership. Um, don't be the guy that, you know, the coach has to ask you to do this or do that uh, each day. Be a, be a guy who's going to take some initiative and, and, and do some stuff on your own. And sometimes you might make a mistake, but, you know, it's part of the learning process. But I, I, I wish that there were more opportunities to be around young guys. Um, and when I do get a chance to get around them, especially young guys when they first start, maybe they're somewhere and they're, you know, they're able to go out and recruit. They're the volunteer, but they get a chance to get on the road every once in a while and stuff. And, you know, just kind of talk to them and, and try to help them out the best I can. But uh, the, the camps, from that standpoint, have kind of gone away. 
that's unfortunate. And I don't know how it was when you started your career, but I swear that half the guys that I know in the game now still that are still coaching, I met them either at best in Virginia camp or, or Clemson camp or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. I, I, you know, I got to know uh, Nick Mingione, who's the head coach now at Kentucky. Like I got to know Nick when I was the volunteer at Duquesne and Nick was the volunteer at Kentucky. Cause I went to go work Kentucky camp. Uh, right, exactly. you know, and, and that's, that's how I got the job at Winthrop. Honestly, I got the job at Winthrop because I worked Winthrop camp and I met, yeah. um, the whole staff there, of, of course. And I made a good impression on the pitching coach. And a couple years later, I saw him, I was at a Juco and, and he was, uh, we were recruiting the perfect game. One of the perfect game tournaments in Atlanta. I saw him and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? What, what are your plans? And I said, I'm looking, would love to get back into D1 baseball. And he said, well, we got a volunteer job open. And, and that's how I, you know, I would have never had that conversation had I not worked their camp and got to meet him there. So, I mean, it, it was such a working camps was such a great experience for me, not only getting to be around people like you and, and, and learning from guys who had been around it and just, you know, from a, from a different part of the country and just kind of do things a little differently than you do. And you learn some new terminology and things like that, but it was just a good experience for me just to meet other guys because it seemed like the other guys that worked those camps were like me. They just, they wanted to work. They wanted to, to meet guys. They're trying to recruit, they're trying to network and, and I think do some things the right way. And, um, so anyway, just, uh, it's kind of a shame that, that, that kind of stuff has, has diminished a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I want to also ask you, Jerry, just about, about your journey a little bit and, and, and kind of, you know, from when you were a young coach and, and, uh, to where you are now, and I'll just, I'll even start at Lewisburg, you know, when you, when you were at Lewisburg, you had been coaching for a number of years already and had done some good things. Uh, but you know, from when I met you at Lewisburg, Jerry, Jerry Edwards in 2007, 2008 to Jerry Edwards in 2021. Um, what, what kind of progressions did you make from then until now? Like, you know, we talked about players going to Juco and getting better. And in a couple of years, you're going to be good enough, hopefully to go on to another level, but coaches can do the same thing. You know, coaches, they, they learn, they progress and, and you are able to move up levels if you keep continue to do that. What what kind of progressions did you make, Jerry? What what are some key things that you learned or ways that you got better from Lewisburg, Jerry Edwards to Jacksonville, Jerry Edwards? Um, I would I would say you know we're all when we first start uh, and we're young we have all the answers uh, and we have all the solutions and then it's not till you get in it and you get a little bit older that you realize you really didn't know what the hell you were doing when you started. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the more you get into it, you, you learn a lot more and, and, and you become a little bit more humble. And you, you look back sometimes and go, man, why, why did I ever do that? How did I get away with that? And, um, but I will say, you know, the one thing is I've, I've always tried to be a learner. Um, if you think you have all the answers in this game, you're sadly mistaken. You should be trying to learn every year. Uh, that's one thing I try to do. I try to adjust every year and do something different or, or introduce something different to our pitching staff that maybe we didn't do the year before that maybe I, you know, was talking with another pitching coach and we're just talking about what, what how we do stuff. And, uh, they, 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 they give me a, they say something and say, Oh, we do this when we're throwing our bullpen. It's like, Oh, okay. I kind of like that. Hey, hey, give me some more information. Let's talk about that. You know? Um, and, and so I try to learn every year. I try to, I try to get better in some aspect. Obviously now in 2021, 
with technology that we didn't even think about in 2007, eight, nine, um, with all the data and all that stuff, that's, that's really changed how you have to teach pitching and how you go about learning and, 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 and being able to understand the technology to be able to give that to your kids because, you know, nowadays in recruiting, I mean, they want to know what, what type of technology do you have? How do you use the technology? Um, and, and, and that type of stuff. So that's, that's been one of the obviously biggest changes from, from back then in Lewisburg to now is just learning that technology and being able to use it in our bullpens and in our game situations and, 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 and being able to give that information to our kids so they understand it, but me also having to learn it too because, you know, a lot of guys, younger pitching coaches have grown up uh, in the business in the last couple of years with the technology. Those older guys have had to kind of you know, dig into it and, and, and have some help and, and, and get someone to kind of explain it so you can start to understand it. Uh, but, you know, Another thing is, man, like I try to experiment with stuff. Like I, I, I think about pitching. I think about baseball daily. Um, and, you know, there's some stuff I, I sit around and I think, well, man, you know what? This would be, this might be good to, to try this in practice and see how this works. And, you know, some stuff I've had ideas that came into my head that I thought were good that I implement them. I implemented them. And when the, the fall was over with, I was like, God, that was, that didn't work. I, that, 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 that was not what I wanted to be. I know what I was looking for, but it didn't end up coming out the way I wanted. And there's been other things that I was like, I've, I've experimented with and I've ended up sticking with it and staying with it and talking to the players. And yeah, coach, I like that. I like when we did that, that was some good stuff that we did. And I, I'm, I'm never like the stuff I tried to implement. If my guy said, uh, coach, yeah, I, I I didn't really care for that a lot. That wasn't, I didn't really feel like I got a lot out of it. I don't really, you know, I didn't really understand why we did it. I didn't really, I don't get, you know, it, I don't go, well, you know, I'm the pitching coach. So you know, I was like, okay, well, if they're not getting it and they don't like it, then I've got to change something because ultimately I've got to develop them and get those guys to buy into what I'm trying to teach them. So I've never felt like I've been too, too, guru like a, a guru or somebody that's just like okay well that's not you're going to do it whether you think it's, it's good or not i mean i try to listen to our players and get feedback from those guys and you know there's guys that you get to know in the business like you said and, and the connections that you make that you like their approach and you like how they go so you like to talk to those guys throughout the year and bounce ideas off of them and hear ideas that they do. And, and I, I think that's how we're able to continue growing as coaches and, and moving forward is not thinking you have all the answers and understanding that you don't have all the answers. And there are other ways to teach stuff and you got to continue to learn what's the best teaching methods and, and how do you get that information across to your players? And I, I feel like I do that. I try to do that every year. Um, but uh, that's that's where I've seen kind of how I've adjusted from from being at Lewisburg to where I am now. Jerry, you talked about just being a learner and a continuous learner. What are some resources, or I I shouldn't even say it like resources, but how do, how do you continue to learn? Is it is it from talking with your peers? Is it from going to conventions? Do you have like podcasts or or websites that you? that you go on are there like um, you know whether it's a national convention or, or like a more focused like a pitching convention there are several of those out there what are what are some of your uh, go-to resources to keep to keep learning 
Um, uh, some of it is just with my peers, uh, guys that I know and trust, and I think they do it the right way. Uh, they are guys that don't think they have all the answers and they're willing to share information and talk. I, I think that's one of the best ways. Uh, uh, one of the good things, I haven't been to a pitch, pitching convention in a while. Um, I did go out to uh, the, um, the ranch out in Texas uh, back when I was at Eastern Kentucky the second time. I thought it was good information. Made some connections out there with some guys that I still stay in touch with that I talk pitching with. Um, I do a lot of online. I say a lot, but some stuff I do online is I'm, I'm a big believer in the kind of stuff that Lance Wheeler talks about and the core velocity belt. Um, so I've known Lance and we've known each other since he started coaching. Um, and so, you know, I go on to his, his website and look at some stuff he's putting out and maybe some different videos that he, that he has on there. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll email him a time or two about, uh, some ideas I might have. And he's always been good about giving me feedback on what he thought of them. Um, but, um, I have a very good ops guy right now at JU who's a young pitching coach in the making um very uh very uh data driven and understands the technology and the last year and a half has been a huge asset for me helping me to implement the data side of pitching and understanding that stuff a lot uh, even though he's a young guy um I, I give him you know some I give him a lot of uh a, a big role in our pitching staff and helping out our guys and talking to them and, and, and stuff and hearing him talk to them and, and, and how he translates the, the data information has tremendously helped me. Um, and his name is Chris Rodriguez. Uh, he played at Wright State, um, was actually the volunteer at, uh, at, UC, at, uh, at Central Florida, was hired by the Diamondbacks to go into their minor league system and start doing their data and, and working in that and, and that and then COVID hit and he was out and we had an ops position open and we were able to hire him and he's been a tremendous help for us but it, I think a lot of it really for me is I'm, I'm more of a talker getting somebody to understand stuff I'm not a big video guy like trying to watch a lot of video I just kind of like to see some different things and and, and take my own spin from it to see if it's something I'd like to try to use. But I'm still, if you want to call it old school, from a standpoint of I, I, I really like just talking with, with other pitching coaches and kind of seeing what they're doing, comparing to what they're doing to what I'm doing to see if there's a better way for me to do what I'm doing. And that, that was always one of my favorite things to do as well just talk to the guys and there's one of the it's one of the cool things about college baseball to me is how open guys are and how willing they are to share and that's why we end up with with a lot of college coaches on this podcast um you know when i get pro coaches on the podcast usually it comes with like a hey i can't talk about this or this or this because the organization won't let me but you get college guys come on and, and they're usually willing to open up and talk about kind of what you know really anything and and that's why, again, we have mostly college coaches contributing to the website because pro guys are usually like, hey, part of my contract, I can't, I can't shoot any video. Um, right. And, uh, and it's just I think the college, college baseball is a really cool level because of that. Um, Jerry, has your – one of maybe one of the last questions here, one of the last things we'll get into. Has your pitching philosophy over the years uh, 
I'm I'm sure it has progressed. You said you that you try some different things from year to year, but your just your general pitching philosophy has has that changed a lot? Has it gotten more complex? Have, have you like have you simplified it as you've gotten older and 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 more mature as a coach? Um, just kind of curious how how that part of your game has progressed. You know, coaching pitchers day to day with you know through practice through through games calling pitches. Um, you know, bullpens, whatever. Has, has that changed a lot, and has it gotten more complex or maybe sim- been simplified over the years? Well, I, I, it has. It, it has. Um, I've always, I've always been a. And when you come to college, the number one thing that kid, every kid wants to be able to do is throw harder, and, and I get that. Velocity plays. Velocity gets you seen. Uh, velocity gives you a chance to. Uh, if Division One pitch at next level, or if you're at a JUCO to have a chance to go pitch at Division One, uh, or, or or get drafted, and so I, from day one, man, like I talked to our guys about that, and that I, if they can throw a hundred, I want them to throw a hundred. And every day we go out to throw, our goal was try to be able to throw as hard as we can, and 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 gain velocity every year if if we can, if that's in our DNA. And, and the way we train, and I, I firmly believe that, that everybody can gain velocity. Doesn't I mean? And that don't mean everybody's going to throw 95, but everybody can gain velocity. And so that's kind of the now the, the the mindset I want our guys to have when they start with us is we're going to throw as hard as we can. Um, I really try to keep it simple. What our guys is, hey man, like we got to have you know obviously you're, you you got to have good stuff. If you didn't have good stuff, you wouldn't be here. Um, but ultimately we're going to be aggressive. Like I want a guys who are aggressive, who are going to tag the zone. Um, and, and ultimately our, our objective is, uh, and the mindset I try to get them to get into is our, our goal is to strike out as many people as we can, because I think if you are trying to strike people out then you're trying to be aggressive, I don't want guys just trying to, I get pitching the contact. I, I understand that. Right. I get that. But, when you can strike guys out, uh, then you can, you know, it, it helps your defense out. Um, it, it, it helps a lot with mentality. Um, and in and, and our, and our, our game, in our bullpens and our, and our work, um, I'm constantly trying to preach that type of mentality. Let's, let's always be aggressive in everything we do. So when we get on the mound and we get in, a, in, in, in situations, we, that's, that's, that's going to be our mindset um, is, is let's stay aggressive um, and I, I try to keep it really that simple. And I try not to, you know, back when I was younger, all I ever talked to, you know, I talk a lot about, oh, we can't walk anybody. Well, I mean, hell, walks happen. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're constantly preaching about that and then guys are thinking about it, and I don't want them thinking about walking a guy. I want them thinking positive. I want them thinking about let's get a guy out. How are we going to get him out? Let's strike him out. Let's stay aggressive. Let's stay on the attack. Let's be the one initiating the, uh, the action instead of trying not to let something happen. Um, and so that's kind of where I've, I've changed a little bit as I've gone. Um, I'm a big believer in getting on the mound. So uh, I've kind of changed my bullpen schedule. I used to be the guy like everybody would be, and you might throw one bullpen for 30 pitches, and then you might throw another bullpen later in the week, and it was 45 pitches or you know, I, I started getting to the point where I was like, man, like I get bored watching a 45-pitch bullpen. I know this guy gets bored trying to throw a 45-pitch bullpen. So really what I try to do now is I try to get our guys on the mound 
three days a week in, in preseason, not once we get into our team practice. Um, but we try to get on the mound preseason three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we're throwing a 20-pitch bullpen each day. Um, and I, I just believe in getting on the mound more but having less volume and keeping my intensity and my mind right for those 20 pitches on working on executing and being the best I can be for those 20. And then that's our work for today. And then good, bad, or indifferent, we come back on Wednesday. I'm going to get on the mound again. And let's see if we can improve, get better. Let's see if we can you know, improve our stuff. And, and we change our bullpens up. And whether it's a fastball day or fastball change day or we're throwing everything, I mean, it, it, you know, we progress into that. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was younger, I just did the two, like two pins a week and high volume. And I just felt like that didn't, wasn't conducive to our guys because they just started losing focus. They started losing, uh, intensity and, and interest. And I felt like if you can keep it and keep them locked in, cause ultimately you want guys locked in for one inning at a time and you'd like for it to be less than 20 pitches, but, you know, if they can if they can keep their intensity and keep their mindset right one inning at a time, then that's really what you're looking for. And so that's kinda how I try to preach it and teach it now is we're 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 gonna get after it, man, for one inning, then we'll worry about the next inning when it comes. But let's let's stay locked in for these twenty pitches. Let's have a you know, uh, good intensity. Let's let's throw and, and, and be who we are and understand our, our, our goals and and that type of stuff, and that's one of the biggest changes I've 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 done, uh, especially when it comes to a bullpen setting, uh, setting preseason. Um, and then once we get into the season, I still like for our guys to get on the mound as much as they can, whether it's a short mound, a full, you know, sixty foot, you know, six or, or whatever. But I, I'm a big believer in trying to get on the mound multiple times between starts. I really preach that. I think our guys buy into it. And I think once guys realize that they can actually get on the mound more than one time between starts it starts getting them a little bit more confident and they start understanding the, their feel and what their body's doing a lot better and you'd be surprised how many guys when you tell them we're gonna get on the mound three times they kind of go what i'm like just, <laughs> it's, it's okay like you're gonna be okay you just you gotta and it takes them a while to get to get into it and understand it but once they do most guys when they leave, they go like, "Hey man, like I'm I'm glad we did that. Like I I didn't I never really I always thought you know I can't get on the mound but once and all that stuff. But getting I felt like getting on the mound more is something that really helped me you know progress and develop. And I, I think that's been one of my biggest biggest adjustments. Jerry, do you have time for one more question? Because I, I just sure. something else that based on that question I'd like to ask you. Okay. And and I don't claim to be you know, that smart on these podcasts. So I don't mind asking a dumb question from time to time. Maybe this is a really dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, how do you, you, you kind of just mentioned about the strikeouts and, and like ground balls are great. Pitching to contacts great, but strikeouts are, are, are great too. Cause you don't, you know, you don't, your fielding percentage on strikeouts a thousand and uh, you know, you, yeah. you can't steal any bases against a strikeout or anything else. You can't steal first base, but I, I just want to kind of ask in the, in the, the world we live in where velocity is king, um, there's more to just velocity than to pitching. How right. Can I just ask the really simple, dumb question of how do you get people out on the pit, on the mound? You're like, like what, what gets people out? You know, when you're actually coaching pitchers, you said they come in and kind of everybody throws hard and whatever. 
but but throwing hard by itself doesn't get people out. What what gets people out at at your level? You know, what do guys need to do? And I'll kind of ask it for this this way: If a guy wants to pitch at your level, how's he going to do it? How's he going to get people out? Because just because you're on the the Jacksonville roster because you throw hard doesn't mean you're going to earn any innings in the spring. What gets out at your level? Well, obviously, I mean, we all you know command. Uh, we we talk about velo a lot. Really, the first thing we should talk about is command. Do you, do you have a fastball that you can command to both sides of the plate? And can you elevate it when you need to elevate it? Um, because 90 down the middle is going to get timed up a lot. Um, so you better understand command and, and how can we command the baseball. And now with the data and all that stuff like that, you can help guys understand creating true backspin and are they cutting it or are they, you know what I'm saying, different things like that that I think can help some with the command. Um, but obviously command is, is the one thing and it's the command of the fastball. And that's the one thing we work on the most. That's the one thing I preach the most. Um, and, you know, the way we set up our bullpens and how we have our stuff configured, I got, you know, plates that are set up that, that, that gives them visual it helps them with visual learning or visual visualization. Um, we put strings in our bullpen to help our guys understand where the hot zone is, and you got to be able to you know pitch at the bottom string, or you got to be able to pitch at the top string. If you pitch in between those, you're going to have a chance to really not be successful. So understand where we got to be as from a standpoint of at the bottom or at the top. In between is 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 Anywhere in between is a hot zone. So we, 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 I try to emphasize that to our guys, but I think at our level, man, like you've got to have a plus secondary pitch, at least one secondary pitch, whether it be a curveball, slider, or a changeup, at least one that is a plus type pitch in order to strike guys out. Like we got a guy on our staff right now, freshman, six, four, um, you know, he's 88, 89, good fastball, has got some sink to it. He has a good changeup, but he does not have a good breaking ball. Well, he didn't strike a lot of guys out in the fall. He pitched well. He got a lot of guys out, but he didn't strike a lot of guys out. So my job is to help him develop that plus all-speed pitch, at least one, that we feel like can be a strikeout-type pitch. And, and, I, and I feel like it, at, at our level, sequencing comes so much into play as to how does, you know, what breaking ball or – whether it be curveball or slider, what plays best off of my fastball? How do those two compare to each other? What can I? How am I able to use those to sequence my pitches? Um, and and I, and that's what I try to do with our guys is teach them and get them to understand sequence. And as the this is why we're throwing a breaking ball in this situation at this count after we just threw whatever pitch it was we threw before, whether it was a fastball or a breaking ball. Why did why, why did we double up on a breaking ball right here? Well, you threw a bad breaking ball. So as a hitter, I'm probably thinking, well, shoot, if he just threw a bad, bad one, he ain't going to throw another one. So guess what? Let's try to throw another breaking ball. Maybe you make the adjustment. You throw a better breaking ball. And now we've got him kind of off balance and not understanding what we're doing. So I think the sequencing of pitches and, and understanding and getting guys to understand how their pitches pair together and play off of one another is is a huge thing for us and i've been fortunate enough man to have some guys with some good breaking stuff 
um, and, and it can really spin it. And, and I feel like it at the Division One level, man, like you having a good changeup is great. And I've had some guys with really good changeups, and I had one at UNCG that was unbelievable, best right-handed changeup I've ever coached. Could strike guys out. Like it was a strikeout pitch for a changeup. Very few guys have changeups that strike out pitches. Most of it's got to be some type of a spin, whether it's a good breaking ball or a slider. So I, I really feel like and, and stuff, when you get to Division One level, if you can really spin it, even though you might not have the best velo, uh, you can you can get you can get guys out and you can strike guys out. Jerry, are you recruiting guys that can really spin it, or do you feel like that's something that you can teach? Jeff, I'm a firm believer in you can either spin it or you can't. Um, and I think guys have a feel for it. The guys that have that I have that have been brought into our program at the different places that I've been that have had good arms but like really struggle with spin have never really been able to spin it. And I mean spin it at a level that is consistent but also is good enough to, to, to strike guys out on a consistent basis. And I don't mean that you're spin and you know what I'm talking about. You see a breaking ball, it's not it's not gonna be where it's gonna be in two or three years, but does it have the right shape? Is it is it spinning the right way? Does it have action? Does it show some depth? And if it does, then you go, okay, that guy knows what he's doing. We can develop that. It's the ones that, you know, they got a good fastball and then they throw a slider and you can't tell, was that a slider? Like, I know the velo was different, but I didn't really see it do anything. You know what I'm saying? They don't show the ability and, and the hand speed and the feel of what they're able to do to try to, to spin the baseball and so I think when you get them at the college level, can you teach them something? Yes. But does it have a chance to continue to develop to where it could be elite? Um, I think it's very, very difficult. And I, and I tell our recruiting guy, like, hey, man, like, if they can spin and I'm in, I think the velo will jump. If, if, if they got the velo and they can't spin it, uh, we're going to, he's going to struggle for us just because I, I think that's one of the hardest things to get guys to feel and, and be able to do. Um, and so I, I take a guy that's 85 and can spin it over a guy who's 90 that can't spin it. This is really great stuff. This is Jerry Edwards, everybody. He's currently the pitching coach at Jacksonville University in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Jerry, this has been a great podcast, man. I've learned some things, and it's been fun catching up with you as well. I always enjoy having guys on here that I knew in, in my past life and, and get a chance to catch up. So, I just want to personally thank you for coming on here and taking the time, um, you know, sharing all the stuff that you shared and, and, and uh, be willing to go back to, you know, remembering those uh, 2007, 2008 days as, as painful as they are for us sometimes. But, Jerry, this has been great, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Jeff, I appreciate you more than welcome to reach out to me at any time. I love talking baseball, and I, I was, I, I'll do this any other time you want to and I appreciate you thinking about me as a pitching coach to allow me to come on and, and I do it in the more if you needed me to.